Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Thanks, as always, for listening. Following last week's two-part episode, we've got another one for you this week. I love this story. George Zimmer, the founder of Men's Warehouse, reportedly wants to buy back his company two years after losing it to a bizarre merger with Jose Bank that's been a disaster, or at least a near disaster. Bloomberg Gadfly columnist Tara LaChapelle will join us on that in just a minute. But first, it's time for What's the Big Deal? And after several weeks of relative quiet, we've got another mega deal on our radar. Bayer, the Germany-based pharmaceutical and chemical giant, has made a $62 billion offer to acquire Monsanto, which you probably know of as the world's largest fertilizer company. Uh, And Monsanto now coming out and rejecting the offer. Is this deal going to happen or not? It would be the year's biggest and the largest takeover in German history. Bloomberg Managing Editor, wait, Executive Editor. He just got a promotion, folks, of Global <laughs> Deals. Jeff McCracken joins us Thank in the studio. Thank you, Alex. That was very nice of you. Uh, Jeff, I, I didn't know what Managing Editor meant, and I don't know what Executive Editor means, so congratulations. Thank you, and I, I have less of a clue myself, so <laughs> I'll learn it as I go along. Right, exactly. So the, my first question is the most important part of this this, this conversation. Is it Bayer or Buyer? I think it's Bayer. Because the the CEO, I believe, pronounced it Bayer. I was just listening to an interview of his, which is why I went with Bayer. Also, it's I mean, it's spelled B A Y E R. Shouldn't how is that Bayer? Right, it should be Bayer. I'm gonna go with Bayer uh, over right. the course I'll, of this I'll interview. Shift. Every, everyone I've ever talked to has called it Bayer, and 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 and, and all of our reporters on air seem to call it Bayer. But the CEO Werner Bowman calls it Bayer, so I, I would imagine he knows. Anyways, why does why does Bayer want to buy Monsanto? You know. This has been a space. Uh, you go back now a couple of years. Uh, you've had all these huge, you know, this is the space of huge agricultural giants. And, you know, the people that provide the farm chemicals or the seeds or what have you to, to the world's largest farms. And they've all been consolidating. So back in, I think it was 2014, we reported that Monsanto had made a run at a company called Syngenta, but didn't go anywhere. Then last year, we broke. Monsanto was making another run at Syngenta, and it actually became public, and they went back and forth for a couple months, and finally it all fell apart. A couple months after that, we reported ChemChina made a run at Syngenta, and they ended up being successful. So at 40 something billion dollars, they took Syngenta out. Around that same time, Dow and DuPont came together. I believe it was the Wall Street Journal had broke that. And those two, which are huge ag chemical conglomerates, they came together. Eventually, those two, Dow and DuPont, are going to do a merger and then break apart. All that leaves, really, in terms of the mega ag giants, is Monsanto, Bayer, Bayer, and BASF. We don't expect BASF will jump in here at all. So really, it leaves Monsanto and Bayer. Buyer's market cap is somewhere in the 85 to $95 billion range. Monsanto is in the, well, before all this came out, was in the upper 30s, low 40s. So it, it was clear that if someone was going to buy Monsanto, it was probably going to be Bayer. And, and BASF is also a German chemical company, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, and and they're just pretty cautious. You know, they they took a look at Dow and Dupont. I believe a couple months ago we reported that they looked at Dow Dupont and wondered if there was a way to jump in the middle of that. Um, but BASF just seems too to what's the word I'm looking for, nervous, if you will, to, to actually do something of that size. So why is Monsanto likely to formally reject 
this bid? Is it because they simply want a higher price or because it feels like a deal isn't in the best interest of its shareholders? You know, Monsanto cannot argue with the strategic logic. They can't argue with the synergies or the cost savings that would come with it. Because once they did that, buyer, Bayer, would trot out all of the comments and the statements from the Monsanto CEO, Hugh Grant, last year when he was trying to buy Syngenta. And he was arguing that consolidation was the natural situation, that these multi-billion dollar companies needed to come together and find efficiencies and spend tons of money on R&D to find the next products and the next you know, genetically modified seeds for the farmers of the world. Again, they understand consolidations that happen. The reason they're going to reject it, I believe, is because of the price. It's roughly $122 a share. That's what's been offered to Monsanto. Values them at, I think, $53 billion. Then you add the, the debt that's behind it and becomes a $62 billion takeover. It's probably less than they were hoping for. It's all cash, which is great. People love it when it's an all-cash deal, especially in this environment where the stock market's up and down so radically in, in 2016. It's basically, I think, the opening gambit, if you will, from Monsanto to reject. But I think what we'll probably see is a statement from them that says, we reject this. However, we understand there is huge strategic rationale. So why don't we keep talking, especially if you make a little bump in your bid? Yeah, I found this interesting from uh, Bloomberg intelligence analyst Jason Miner. For those that are not familiar, Bloomberg sort of has its own in-house analysts that write up uh, detailed reports about industries and about potential deals. So he was writing that, and, and you were referring to this, Jeff, Basically, what's happened over the last few years is that farmers have seen their incomes fall as commodity prices have gone down, which has spurred farmers to increasingly want products tailored to their specific needs. And Monsanto has become over-reliant on seeds, on fertilizer, at the expense of other chemicals that they should have been developing that are more specific to what farmers want, such as pesticides, for instance. Hmm. And that's sort of what pursued them to try to buy Syngenta. Also, I suppose what makes a Bayer deal potentially uh, useful to the company moving down the road. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Monsanto was the very first company to come up with genetically modified seeds. So was it like two decades ago or so that they, they came up with that and, and started commercializing that for like and I now in the United States, I think the majority of corn and soybeans that are grown here are are from these types of seeds. And as you know, Monsanto's its its reputation, its brand, if you will, is not all that well known. Uh, one of the uh, one of the issues for buyer is there's a lot of pushback and a lot of grief they're getting over in Germany because they're uh, they're considering this offer, or not considering, but about made this offer, there's actually a hashtag out there if you go out to Twitter that says Monsatan. Um, that's the, uh, the the nickname, if you will, that Monsanto has gotten from the people that aren't big fans of them. You know, they they besides making genetically modified seeds, they were the, the the company that made the chemicals that were used in Vietnam. And I think their first product was saccharin, which people have yeah. thought e- caught, either caused or might not have particularly caused. healthy. For yeah, you. not not very good for you. Yep. So you know, a lot of things that they've done aren't necessarily the most positive or helpful to uh, to the brand of the company, if you will. So let's talk a little bit more about the deal specifics here. So if Monsanto is rejecting this deal and wants more, just how far can Bayer go? I'm looking at their balance sheet in front of me here. Uh, you know, as of the first quarter of this year, they have $16.8 billion in debt. Uh, you know, this is a company with an enterprise value of about $74 billion. So that's decently significant. 
just how high can they go before shareholders say no mas? Honestly, right now, a lot of the shareholders are already saying no mas, and I think that limits their ability to go much higher. And, And you see this a lot in these really big deals that become public. The huge issue is that the buyer or the would be buyer can't go a lot higher. So right now, they're at $122 a share. I would not be surprised if they could go to 125, 128, that kind of range, maybe up to 130 at most. There's not a lot more that they're going to be able to go or they're going to risk their credit rating in, in such a deal. So the question is if you're Monsanto, will that do it? If you get a bid, let's say 128 a share, so another, you know, $6, you know, values your company at something closer to 60 billion, are you willing to make a deal? Are you willing to sell at that price? And, you know, that remains to be seen. See, that's another reason in an M&A context you should say buyer, because if you're talking about the buyer and you're also calling the company buyer. Right. The you know, buyer, buyer. Really, really yeah, confusing. Yeah, that's true. It makes it a little confusing. Uh, so finally, Jeff, do, so what do you think? Does the deal get done here? I actually think it does. It, and it's not because of the price, but it's because Hugh Grant and his team have been wanting to consolidate. They are always hoping that they were the ones who would run it. <laughs> and and there may be an opportunity for them to get some of the you know, senior positions or very senior positions within the buyer bayer or or, you know, cash out and move on to another company. They're gonna get a decent premium. It's a thirty seven percent premium as it stands now. So they'll get something north of forty, I would imagine. It's all cash. You know, there's a lot of reasons to do it. And I think a lot of their shareholders would be extraordinarily angry if they turn it down. Jeff McCracken, executive editor of Global Deals for Bloomberg News. Jeff, thanks, as always, for joining us. My pleasure. Okay, turning to a smaller deal, but one I love, we bring in Tara LaChapelle, Bloomberg Gadfly columnist. Hi, Tara. Hello. So, just like we were talking about Monsanto sort of coming back from the dead in, a, in, in various different deal capacities. We bring back another name from M&A's past, and this one a familiar name to anyone that watches television commercials. George Zimmer, founder of Men's Warehouse, best known for his company's old catchphrase. I'm going to try this. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. I love his gravelly that was good. voice. That's not bad. So this all comes from an Inc. magazine feature on Zimmer. Uh, so what what do we learn in this? So Inc. Magazine had a really great interview with George Zimmer, and it was about you know his creating Men's Warehouse, the two uh, startups he's since created since he was ousted from the company. But there was a little interesting nugget where he talks about how he's actually begun talking with private equity groups about maybe buying Men's Warehouse back. If you remember, he was ousted in 2013. He wanted to take the company private. The CEO who he had actually put in place uh, as his replacement when he became chairman decided they didn't want to take the company private. They wanted to instead do a merger with their competitor, Jose Bank. And Zimmer was against that deal from the get-go. They ended up doing it, and it's not going so well now. Remind us what happened with this Jose Bank thing, because didn't one company want to buy out the other, and then sort of the there was like a reverse merger? Like, yeah, no, I'll was, buy you. It was a crazy situation. Merger Arabs loved it at the time. It just gave so much headlines and material. Uh, what happened was, after... Uh, Zimmer was ousted, and he was basically told he can't take the company private. Jose Bank bid for Men's Warehouse, so that sort of opened the door for that. And Men's Warehouse turned around and bought Jose Bank instead, which made a lot more sense at the time. Men's Warehouse was bigger. The problem was Men's Warehouse paid all cash, and now you know they're feeling a little bit of buyer's remorse there. And Zimmer was 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 pushed out during that 
process? Is that what happened? Yeah, he was pushed out. He it's kind of unclear what happened because, you know, there's his story that he's been telling, the story that the company's been telling, and, you know, somewhere in between there is probably the truth of what happened. But it sounds like they kind of just started to have different visions for the company. And people were doubting Zimmer internally, and it seemed like they kind of ambushed him a little bit and maybe kind of ousted him from the company. And now, looking back, it's like, well, you know, his strategy wasn't so bad. And this deal that they ended up doing against his wishes is looking pretty dumb. And why has the deal turn sour what has happened post deal with these two companies coming together that has made sales and profit fall so from the beginning when the deal closed in june 2014 things seemed to be going okay you brought together these two men's suit retailers and it seemed like it was fine but then renamed the company tailored brands tailored brands so they just renamed it in january so that's a fairly new thing that they did so they had men's warehouse in jose bank and all of a sudden jose bank had a one and a half percent decline in same store sales then it was like nine percent then 15 and then the latest quarter it was down 32 percent so now everyone's going, uh-oh, uh-oh, why did they buy this company? They paid $1.8 billion in cash for it, and now the whole company together is worth about $630 million. So why have the sales fallen so drastically? A big part of it was that Jose Bank had these sort of ridiculous promotions. Yes. Were buy one, get three free, totally. four free. I mean, they were just crazy. That's what I know the company for. Exactly. So I think when Men's Warehouse took it over, they said, these aren't really sustainable. We need to have customers loyal to the company in a different way and they got rid of it and to their shock the customers stopped coming so it sounds like those (laughs) promotions were actually what were bringing people in so now they're starting to bring back some of these but not to that degree you know they're doing the buy one get ones like men's warehouse did but they're still having a hard time like it's not it hasn't turned around yet and it's not clear whether it will and now it's looking like jose bank is this weak link and so what they did in january was they renamed the company to tailored brands and it's basically structured like a holding company now where Men's Warehouse and Jose Bank are just separate units under it. Okay, so so because it's structured that way, uh, is this real? Like, do you think George Zimmer actually has a chance to buy back Men's Warehouse? It's hard. Some part of me thinks yes. I mean, he he knows how to run the company better than anyone, probably. He's got these two other startups, so it's not like he's been away from this industry during this time that he's been gone. But the problem is debt. The company has a ton of debt from buying Jose Bank. It's up to like $1.65 billion now, I believe. And so if they want to team up with a private equity group, how do they convince them to take on this company where, you know, Men's Warehouse is, is doing okay, but it's not doing as great as it was, you know, in years past. How do they convince them to, to buy this thing with him, believe in him, and also figure out what to do with this debt? Do right. they leave it back on Jose Bank or do they take it? Right, because the, the, the prototypical private equity platform is buy a company, put leverage on it, in other words, put debt on the company, and then pay off that debt from the increased synergies and money you make from the company. Right. So if a company already has a big debt load, yeah. then it doesn't have, you can't put any more debt You can't. On, ha- on it that. already has so much. And with, with it worth, you know, a third of what how much debt they have. I mean, how do you convince someone that this is a good investment? So I think that's probably what he's toying with. And even in the Inc. article, he was pretty honest about that. It sounds like his heart is he really wants to own this company. He wants to save it. You know, the article mentioned words like bankruptcy. (laughs) And so when it gets to that, I think, you know, the founder is saying, I can't let my company go this way. At the same time, can I make the numbers work? As a businessman, does this make sense? What do we know about Zimmer's startups? Are there similar businesses to Men's Warehouse? Yeah, so he has one, I believe it's called Generation Tux, and it's just a a Tux rental. And then the other one is Z Tailors, and it's Tailors On Demand. 
So he's he's trying to bring uh, suits and tailoring into this century and keep up with internet and all of that stuff. So he's he, I mean he's doing interesting stuff. It's they're very small. Tailors companies. on demand, really, really <laughs> uh, uh, centering on the heart of America. There, what everyone needed. I can't get my tailor when I want my tailor. Um, yes, probably a niche audience for that one. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, so. So tell us a little bit about Zimmer because he's sort of an unusual founder of CEO. Yeah, he's such an interesting guy. He's he's really eccentric, kind of a free spirit guy, but yet a businessman. You know, he he's a big pot proponent. Uh, he speaks out about that a lot. He's just like really out there. And he even talked about back when there was tension between him and the board and the CEO. One of the members of his board, he put on a lot of his friends on the on the board of Men's Warehouse back way back when, and one of them was Deepak like Chopra. Like any good founder, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we had Deepak Chopra on there, and in the Inc. article, he says that one of the nights before he was asked to resign from the company, they did a guided meditation together, and that that's when it came to him that he just can't let this other CEO run the company, and that he needs to was stand his ground. Was he high during this guided meditation? <laughs> it's was... unclear. You know, you don't know. Uh-huh. Is is Deepak Chopra a big marijuana supporter too? I actually don't know. I don't know either. But yeah, fairly strange that uh, a CEO of a major company is so outspoken about his pot use. I believe I read that Zimmer said he has been smoking pot for 50 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's a big proponent. You know, he has houses in Hawaii. He's just like this really interesting, free-spirited guy. Um, And now he wants to get back into the corporate world. Although, uh, perhaps if he can take Men's Warehouse private... That might be the way to go to turn around. That it business. seems like it would. You know, a lot of people in reading the Inc. article and other stories over the years, it sounds like some people in the industry and analysts even have sort of, you know, joked about him saying that he he wasn't really this genius real t- retail guy, that he actually just got lucky the timing of when he created Men's Warehouse and what was happening with department stores at the time. But really, it seems like he knows what he's doing. And when you look back now, we've had this two year reflection time since they closed that merger with Jose Bank. And Guess who looks like he was probably right? Yeah, the pot smoker. <laughs> George Zimmer. Uh, interesting guy. Tara LaChapelle, Bloomberg Gadfly columnist. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So that's it for this episode of Deal of the Week. Hope you enjoyed it. You can expect more Bloomberg reporters and MA professionals who are doing deals real time. And until then, find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Google Play, or any app you use to listen to podcasts. And take a minute to rate and review the show while you're there. Also, follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Jeff McCracken, who you heard earlier, is JC McCracken on Twitter. And Tara LaChapelle is at Tara, L-A-C-H. Plus, guess what? There's a new Bloomberg podcast. It's called Material World, and it's hosted by Madonna. No, it's not. It's hosted by Bloomberg consumer reporters Jenny Kaplan and Lindsay Rupp, investigating and explaining the business behind common consumer items and vices including skinny jeans, alcohol, and since we already talked about it today, marijuana. That's Material World, debuting Tuesday, May 31st. I am excited to hear Jenny Kaplan and Lindsay Rupp talk about retail and consumer goods. See you all next week.